Cliffcentral.com. Stay informed and up to date. It's the Daily Maverick Show, Tuesdays, 1 to 2 p.m. on Cliffcentral.com. Good afternoon. You are live on the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. As usual, my name is Kingsley Kipuri and I'll be your host for the next hour. What a week it's been. We've seen student protest and activism being really at the center of the national dialogue um, and their push to create systemic change in higher education has, has really been the, I mean, the talk of the country for the past week. Um, so we'll be talking all things fees must fall for the next hour. And if we've got a bit of time, we'll touch on some of the migration issues in, in Europe and, and especially how the, the sort of European power has Germany is responding to that. But for now, a welcome to our prodigal show co-host, Greg Nicholson. Welcome back. I don't know if prodigal is the right word. I've missed a couple of weeks, but thank you. Thank you. It's good to be back. When you left, I think you were talking about UAC and the anti-corruption march, and here you are, and it's such a, it's a whole different story. It feels like a decade ago, all those issues now. That's how quickly the news moves, I guess. I'm telling you. Anyway, let's get into it. Please, please tweet us on at DMShowsAA. Our lovely social media person, uh, Fatima, is on there responding and making sure that your views are heard. Now, we want to go straight to Vitz. Um, on the line, we'll be talking to Ponzo Pilane of the Daily Vox. Ponzo, can you hear us? Hey, hey guys. Uh, there we go. We can hear you. I can even hear the, the, the ongoings in the background. Yes, I'm at, I'm currently at mid school where the occupation is happening now at Vitz Med School campus. I mean, actually, I'd love you to just continue with that. Um, we, uh, we'd love just an update on where things are now. I mean, we, we started last week with the outcry over the proposed 10.5% increase. We saw it shut down for days, and now we hear things have moved to the medical campus. Could you just give us an update on where things are right now? So basically, um, there were, there was, um, they've moved it here because obviously, like geographically, the campuses are on, are in different places. Um, so med school is in Parktown, mm. and it's opposite education campus, and then the main campus is in Brownfontein. So um, the students decided to also occupy this space in order to have to stand in solidarity with the medical school students because they were still being uh, not forced, but they were still their lecturers and supervisors in the hospital, especially mm. we still tell them to go to class. And to, not class, but hospital, which is their class, basically. I mean, I suppose that's a, that's a, I love that you brought up the hospital. How is this affecting the actual operations of the actual hospital and medical care? It isn't. So, uh, Shalom Matlake, Rahima Musa, Bara, and Helen Joseph hmm. are the academic hospitals okay. that are affiliated with FITS. And, um, so Shalom Matlake is that, like, literally next door to, uh, Vets Medical School And so students were still being Like they still had to attend For their ward rounds And whatnot, And they still had to do that spot test Spot test is basically like their bones on the table And you have to say this is the femur This is the whatever mm-hmm. Or whatever So yeah they're still Like the syllabus was partially continued Okay yeah, so hence this happened. Okay. Uh, hence the occupation has moved here. Okay. Aponso, could you also just give us an update on negotiations? So um, what's the relationship between the conversations between the student leaders, the protesters, the council, and the negotiations on actually having a no-fee a no increase for the next academic year? Uh, the, um, the council pulled a no-show yesterday, mm-hmm. so they didn't arrive at... Um, at the, uh, the the meeting that they had scheduled with the protesters, and so the yeah, I think hence the whole Brahm thing happened yesterday because students did uh, the the council did not pitch up. They just sent out a a statement saying that they are in, it's unfortunate they are unable to be there in person, but this is what they reached, and they they said they will come to a decision in November, and that's when the students made the decision that they will occupy. Until uh, council actually talks to them. Now, Ponzo, this is Greg here. Um, it seems obviously the, late, the latest trigger for these uh, demonstrations has been the fee increase. The is it ten point three percent? I think fee increase. Ten point five. Ten point five. And but it seems to me, and, and from being there yesterday and everything on social media, that it's about a lot more than just the fee increase. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that and about some of the other grievances and, and that students have and the other issues they're fighting against? Because it seems to be quite linked to the to the roads must fall um, 
the values behind that protest too earlier in the year? Yes, but however, they're just really targeting. They have one single demand, which is mm. that uh, there is no fee increase next year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the ten point five percent increase. However, they've said um, it, you cannot talk about the economics of uh, affording university without it being linked to other issues of inequality, mm. such as. Um, the untransformed curriculum at university, uh, the lack of black academics in the institution. These are some of the things that they have um, they have talked about as well. So um, they are linked. They they are very very linked. But they are right now they are channeling the the fee one because it's the most imminent one in terms of it's almost the end of the year students will be financially excluded and students won't be able to apply and have 10,000 rand lying around for registration next year in Jan and Feb Mm. so I think that's that's where most of their attention is some people's reaction to this is by saying that the, that the issues are actually wider than at an institution level. The issues of NESFAS, of the Ministry of Higher Education, the government no. as a whole. And so what do you say to that criticism that perhaps the, the protest and the occupation is, is sort of misplaced in who it's targeted at? No, um, a couple of times I've asked the protesters, uh, mm. why is this just targeted at the Vice Chancellor Adam Habib and not in general um, in terms of higher education talking about the the Department of Higher Education talking to NAFSAS which to be quite honest I do not think is a sustainable cannot it can't be the only sustainable uh, solution to students that cannot afford university Mm -hmm. Um, because firstly they have to pay it back uh, even if it's not all of it For instance, I've never been on Nationals But my sister was on it And I knew she had to Because she, uh, she was academically achieving She only mm. paid back 40% of it Instead of the the whole amount uh, So things like that But that's still not sustainable Because are people getting jobs That mm. they can live off of and still pay back their NEFSAS loans. Um, a student, so I don't think NEFSAS is the only, cannot only be the sustainable thing. Uh, I don't think there are enough bursaries also mm. from private, from the private sector. Um, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's a very complex issue. I mean, for instance, I'm a student at Pitts as well. So mm. I've had, I've had to work. For the past two years, so that I can afford to pay my fees. Mm. Um, so, sorry about that. I'm not sure what's happening right now. Uh, no problem. Well, it feel, feels like we're on the scene. Yeah, this is exciting. It feels like we're bringing our <laughs> listeners on onto this campus. So this is, this yeah. is great. Daily Maverick show live from the protests. Um. So yeah, things. Um. It's it's, it's a broader issue about the economic disparities mm. that exist within South Africa. Um, it's about issues. It, it's issues beyond just paying the fees of school. Mm. Can parents afford these? Um, can students are students just drowning in in loans and in 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 NASA's loans and bank loans to fund their education, and then uh, basically live in a perpetual perpetual debt for the rest of their lives. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's 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 really a broader issue, and um, I mean, for the fact that it's reverberated across other campuses, also shows you that it's not just with students. It this is a common issue, and when you do look at the the, the students that are in within the protest, and at, not just in the forefront, but just the groups of students there, uh, it says something about race as well. It says the fact that it's black students that are economically struggling. To pay their fees more than uh, their white uh, white students at university level, so that also feeds into the greater scheme of things in terms of um, economic uh, development of individuals from a racial point of view. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah. Now, Ponzo, you've been on the ground for all, all of these protests, am I right? Yes, yeah, since last Wednesday. I was wondering about your thoughts on, you know, as the media, whenever there's sort of any protests or demonstration, the media 
will, if there is any violence, the media will go with that angle. And I was wondering what you thought of of the media's coverage of these protests, as well as if you can just tell us about, like, from your perspective on the ground, you know, the sort of, the sort of atmosphere in terms of this stuff. So there have been very, very bad reports, and by bad, not as in they're negative, but badly done mm-hmm. uh, reportage by other journalists, to be quite honest. Uh, um, I just read an article, I won't say from which website, that says that students were hooligans um, after the Bucky incident yesterday. Mm-hmm. I mean, Greg, you were there. Mm-hmm. And um, so everyone's talking about, or focusing rather on them turning over the car than the fact that a student was run over. Uh-huh. Like a student, had somebody, uh, like that driver ran over her feet. And it could have been worse. I talked to some of the students who said they literally, it, the car missed them by just a little bit. And so um, we've also seen how there's just been a lot of reports about the students being uh, the students being violent mm. without considering the fact that a lot of the times the violence was in retaliation to a violent act on them first. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody pulled a gun on students last week. I think on the second day of the protest, if, if my memory serves me right. But we're uh, not seeing reports about that in, in in most media spaces, and I think it's 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 alarming and mm. it, it says something about. Uh, the preconceived notions people may go in with, uh, about black bodies gathering and what that means. I think uh, there's all, all like a lot of times people, you know, you hear about a strike and you already just have your own ideas what's going to happen. Oh, they're going to burn tires. Oh, they're going to maybe start burning a school or whatever without having a cultural proximity and an ethnographical background of what happened before that so I think that's the biggest problem Um, uh, yeah and it is problematic and I think vet students have been calling them out and power to social media where they've been able to write their own story as well and uh, not to blow our own horn at the Mm. Daily Box Mm. but we really really um, we have been reporting quite accurately on what has been happening at WITS and now at UCT as well and what's happening at the university currently known as Rhodes. Um, and, yeah... It's- well, one of the things, as you're speaking now, sort of, you know, the the pictures of the uh, the students um, around that that white uh, bucky or van or whatever it was, sort of dominated the papers today. And one of the things that made me, you know, as you're speaking, the the headlines could have been completely different. Instead of saying that, um, you know, students attack or go crazy or something on the streets, which I think most of them went on variations of that angle, it could have said. You know, motorist. I could have pointed out that it was white. If you know, if if that was a factor, tries to kill students. You know, but but I don't think anyone went with that direct angle in the newspapers, at least. Yes, because um, that's a counter narrative, and it's easier to fall into what is already the popular narrative than try to create a different one. Hmm. Because you you are more alienated when you try to create a different one than when you just feed into the one that is stronger and that is acknowledged more. So I think right now, I I would love for the conversation to evolve from, like after all these protests are done, to let's look at the institutions uh, that are the media as an institution more than just from a journalistic point of view. I think we'll find out more. I think there will be more of a story to tell when we look at institutional ideologies and uh, perspectives and we move away from the actual people doing the writing. I think that's a bigger issue. Um, Dealing with, oh, what's on the front page of this newspaper is just the fruit of a very... I would say untransformed institution, mm-hmm. which is the media. I hear you. If you're just tuning in, it's a Daily Maverick show on Cliff Central. We're talking about fees must fall. And we're talking to Ponsop Ilane, who's on site at Vits right now. 
just quickly from social media, our boxy girls at ends, and it says, are the students behaving in a way that, that, or are the students behaving in a manner that calls for tear gas? And we saw some, some tear gassing of students also down at, at UCT yesterday. Now, Naponce, I want to ask about something that sort of you and a few other sort of, in quotes, influencers were tweeting about and, and affirming this idea that black women, lesbian, gay, and transgender people are also in the protest and leading and part of the leaders of, of the protest and the movement. Why do you think it's important that we, that we bring this up? I didn't hear the question. Please just repeat it. Sorry, no problem. No, no problem. Sorry, yeah. um, I'm just bringing up something that a few people have been tweeting and speaking about. And people have been affirming this idea, not this idea, but the fact that black women, uh, transgender people, are, are part of the protest and part of the leaders of the protest. Why do you think it's important that we affirm some of these other identities that are part of the protest? So, uh, I mean, let's... Uh, let's take it out of the protest and just look at it in in terms of society in general. Mm. Um, people that are from the LBGQIA plus community and uh, black women now, and I'm, I'm specifying black women, are at the lowest form of the social stratosphere. Uh, in in many in many instances, not in just this. So. What happened is um, I witnessed the silencing of uh, the women leaders, particularly mm. uh, the SRC presidents, the incoming and outgoing. They're both female. Uh, they're both women. And there was silencing and there was this monopolizing of, of, of speaking and uh, exposure mm. by... Gabo, Jamini, and Riani Pambo. I, I found it very problematic. Not just that, I, I think I experienced also sexism when um, Nompendulo was speaking and she was asking the protesters to sit down so she can address them. Mm. And men within the crowd of protesters were like, we won't be told by a woman. Mm. Right? So it is clear that their masculinity will not allow them to be addressed by a woman that that's patriarchy at its deepest manifestation in my opinion and so it it does exist it doesn't exist uh, in isolation in this like movement or in the student movement but exists in society as well mm. and so pointing it out within the movement i think is not just uh is is not it, it goes beyond like I said it goes beyond the movement okay. because it doesn't just exist within the movements the student movements it exists in society in its entirety and uh, it's something that needs to be addressed. Mm. Um, uh, Ponzo, just so for someone who doesn't know uh, the university's politics so well, one of the things I was interested in was the the sort of leadership um, shown and. Like it did look like these two guys were the biggest leaders, uh, Vomani uh, Pambo from the EFF at the university and Clevo Tlamini. Mm-hmm. Why, why do they, why are they the, the sort of biggest leaders? Well, that's what it seems in terms of when you're watching. They seem to be the ones, you know, who have the most authority in terms of when I was there yesterday. It, it's patriarchy, Greg, at, at its hmm. like, deepest form. Um, the fact that. And, so, sorry, we should also just point out that Tlamini, you know, was. Uh, he lost his position leading the SRC and Vomani Pambo, yes. he's not, he's from the EFF, but they don't lead the SRC either. Yes, they don't. Um, they wanted to boycott SRC elections earlier this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, they got suspended from running for SRC. So what I'm saying is that, um, I am not putting the blame on, I'm not putting the blame in its entirety on, Damini and Bambo, but I am saying that they're complicit to the patriarchal system that exists within the political sphere of things, which says that uh, masculinity will be put on a higher regard. So men speaking and men speaking in a certain way will be more respected. Um, I mean, I talked to some of the protesters and they were like, no, it's not that I don't prefer the ladies, but I mean, Gabo and Viani have the capability of capturing the audience. That is what we need to interrogate. Mm. Why is it that they have this capability that people are saying is not inherent to Shaira and Unompendulo? That is, it's, it's a systematic a patriarchal system that says that 
the highest echelons of political prestige are held for men. Mm-hmm. And hence the men will get the glory and they will get Jeez. put on they'll be put on a bigger platform than Sorry, sorry, Ponto. I just, I just jumped out of my chair when someone, I think it was a Vuvuzela or something, or or a loudspeaker blue. Yeah. I, I, yeah. yeah. Um, so, just before we let you go, can you tell us what do you think? What's going to happen from here? To be quite honest, I, I do not have an answer to that. I myself don't know. Things have just been pre- unpredictable. Like every day, I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be a normal day. Okay, they're going to do this, and then something happens, and so. Um, I don't know. Um, they're adamant in occupying until the university council speaks to them. So I guess that's what's going to happen. And what happens in between that and uh, the council coming to, to 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 the table again is really going to be up to the the course of events during the day. I think. Okay. It's Ponzo Pilani of the Daily Vox, uh, live at Vids. Ponzo, thank you so much for making time for us. All right, thank you, guys. Okay, perfect. Ponzo, Pop, obviously, Sorry, obviously, we can see your work on Daily Vox, but we can also follow you on Periscope, am I, am I right? Oh, yeah, so the Daily Vox, uh, we Periscope. We, if it's a meeting or um, there's speaking that's happening, that, mm, um, mm. so I'm tasked with the daunting job of deciding <laughs> if it's important or not to Periscope. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, we are on Periscope. Just download Periscope on your phone and then follow the Daily Vox. And um, we do announce just before we start a Periscope live broadcast so that people know they can... So that people don't just see the tweets and they see what is really happening for themselves. It's, I mean, I'm doing it from my phone, so it's not like we can edit anything out. It's mm. live. So if something happens, it happens. And that's it. So... I think it's 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 also very important for uh, the public to to see it for themselves the way that it is. Absolutely, I mean you're right. The, the best coverage is coming from the Daily Vox, so please keep up the great work. Um, everybody else, um, the Daily Vox is running a crowdfunding campaign, so please check out their website so you can contribute yes, to make sure that they please. can keep doing what please, they do. Please, we like compliments, but we love money even better. So I must so, just stop saying keep up the great work. I must just put yeah. money. If we had money for every tweet, I <laughs> yeah. mean, we would stop our crowdfunding account tomorrow. But, yeah, so, and, yeah, the details are on our Twitter page, even on our Facebook page. And we only asking for 200 rand per person. That's, I don't think that's a lot. So, yeah, okay. we'll wait for the donations. You guys must donate as well. There we go. Greg has already pledged, so that's a start. Ponto, thank yes. you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye guys. Thank you. Fantastic. You're tuning into the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. We're talking all things fees must fall. Just a quick comment from the Cliff Central app is from Rob Reed. And he says, good on you guys for standing behind fees must fall. Makes me so mad to think that literally thousands are denied tertiary education based on economic standing. A terrible legacy of our past. Time for privilege to go. Rob Reed, a big thank you for tuning in and for contributing. Now we're going to go switch live to Lerato Mohale at Rhodes University, part of the Black Students Movement. Lerato, can you hear us? Yes, I can. Fantastic. Lerato, thanks for holding on. I know you've been on there for a while. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Good, good. Lerato, could you just give us an update of, of, of what's happening at Rhodes right now? Um, well, the university has been shut down. It's been shut down since yesterday because students are um, purchasing the fee increments and the minimal initial payment that we're, we're due to pay at the beginning of every year. So, yeah, that's the, situ- the current situation here. Mm-hmm. Um, L- Lorato, what are the fee increments at Rhodes? Are they similar to what we're hearing about at WITS? Can you please repeat that? I was saying, what what are the the planned fee increments going to be at Rhodes University? Um, are they the, the same as the ten point five percent that the VIT students are protesting against? Yeah, no, we're basically because um, we have not they have not finalized our budget yet. So okay. that's also one thing that we are the budget for next year. That's one thing we are um, actually protesting against because we were wondering how um, the fees booklet has been out for so long yet the the, the People who are supposed to be working on the budget or have not finished, have not finalized that yet. And also the minimum initial payment due for next year is supposed to be um, 45,600 grand. So it was just, you know, 
we found that to be really confusing and we were wondering why that is if the budget itself has not been spent enough. And we've seen it, uh, we're just speaking to Ponzo Palani from the Daily Vox, who's been following the VITS coverage, and we heard that it has been, and a lot of the media has also focused on, um, at, at VITS, there is a sort of cross-political and, and all these different groups getting involved in in this one sort of demonstration, in this one fight. Is it the same at Rhodes, or is it the black student movement leading it, or are there all different SRC uh, groups in there, or how, how is it working? Uh, well, it's not the black movement who have organized this current, um, situation here at Rose. We are in full solidar- solidarity with um, the students who are um, who organize this, and we're working together as a team to try, you know, win this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think I saw pictures of your vice chancellor out there talking to the students. How how has the response from university management and the university council so far been? Um, they've actually been quite. Dis- of the students and the students' demands. Um, they've been saying pretty much the same thing to us since Friday. We had a student body meeting on Friday um, where they basically did not answer the questions that they were asked regarding the fees. And that's basically what they said yesterday. Um, the pictures, they were the pictures outside the drama department where they were outside, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, so uh, people were asking questions and the questions were not being answered at that that really angered students. Uh, thanks, Lerato. Could you just give us a, an idea of sort of the physical movement and layout of what's happening? So how many students exactly are protesting? Are they occupying certain buildings or offices or building blocks? Could you just give us sort of the sort of physical context of what's happening? Um, well, the students, the eight entry points to the university, and the students are occupying um, every entry point at this current moment mm-hmm. in time. Um, yeah, we are not occupying any buildings at this current moment. Sorry, that's you're occupying how many buildings? Was that? We're not occupying any buildings. Okay. Oh, we you're are not occupying the entry points to the university. Mm-hmm. Okay, Lorato. One of the things I've been thinking about with these protests, as as they spread across the country, and of course we saw protests at, at universities earlier in the year after the Rhodes Must Fall movement, and 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 mm-hmm. Rhodes at Rhodes Universities had its own protests. Does it feel mm-hmm. like, as a student, like at the moment that you're in a moment in history? You know, you're sort of uh, a period that might change the future of politics or, or socioeconomics, you know, is that how it feels, being, being in this in this thing? Um, no, that's not how it feels. Um, okay. I'm not speaking for the movement mm-hmm. um, at this current moment in time, I'm speaking for myself, because we, we may not be fighting for ourselves at this current moment in time, we're fighting for future generations, but at the same time, it's... Um, what it is we're doing, what it is we're dealing with, does not allow for us to actually feel to actually feel such a way. Just maybe we will after we're done if we win this, but not at this moment in time. I, I heard that a bit yesterday. At Vitz uh, fighting for future generations. Can you just explain that for us? Well, basically, we know what it is like to be paying such high fees. We don't want other people to be having to experience the same problems. Mm next year the and for future years to come so yeah um Larazzo, we just spoke to some of the guys over at vitz and there's a very strong feeling there about sort of an intersectional politics where where sort of ideas of patriarchy and, and gender stereotypes are also being confronted is, is part of the fees must fall movement uh, mm. are you feeling that same sentiment over at Rhodes, where it's uh, I, you know themes of patriarchy and and the rights of um, sort of people who, are, who don't conform to sort of normative sort of gender stereotypes are you confronting those those as well is there a feeling that we're sort of prioritizing and saying one thing at a time? Um, no, we are tackling all of these things at once. I mean, because they all are linked in some in a very intersectional way. So to us here at Rose, um, yeah, they do shine through, but we're tackling them all at once. We do not have the luxury, we do not have the time to be attacking them one at a time. Fantastic, Larato. Thank you for talking to us. Please keep up the great work. Thank you so, so much. Okay, perfect. That's Lerato Mohale from the Black Student Movement at Rhodes. If you're just tuning in, uh, this is the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. And we're talking all things fees must fall. So we're just chatting to different journalists and student leaders across the country. We've heard from people at WITS. We've heard from people at Rhodes. And now we go over to UCT. We'll be talking to Brian Kamanzi from Rhodes Must Fall. Brian, can you hear us? Hello, Brian. 
Sorry, I've just been informed that we've switched over. We're actually going to uh, student leaders from DASO at Fort Hare. That's the, the, the DA Students Organization. Yes, that's it. Um, can you hear us, Cabello? <laughs> Fantastic. Sorry for the mix-up. Um, Cabello, no we're, not, we're not seeing sort of too much on social media coming out of the Fort Hare. So I'd love if you could just give us some context about what exactly is going on there in relation to fees must fall. Are we seeing students mobilizing? Are we seeing protests? What are the demands and so on? Uh, thank you very much for, for having me. Absolutely. Uh, the, the, the app was uh, the gathering outside, actually, uh, the, the administration building in the biggest campus of the school uh, in Fort Hare, in Alice. Uh, but the, the the, the discussions with management on the issues of fees uh, were brought in not just only on the fee hike, but as well as uh, last week we saw the registrar circulation an email to students saying those who own the institution won't be able to uh, write the examination. Uh, we took it, we took the fight to management, uh, and fortunately, I must say, yesterday the institution withdrew. Uh, that position uh, and all students who are registered students and they qualify in terms of the academic performance to write examinations will be allowed. Uh, and of course, this comes on the backdrop of the institution using, uh, which is one of the issues, using 15 million of NSFOS funds to pay their salaries because they're in a financial crisis. Uh, today, what students are gathered for uh, is on that particular issue of NSFOS funds being used. Uh, for salaries, and secondly, on the issue of the proposed 33% increment on the registration fee, as well as the overall 15% uh, increment on the the fees. Kabbalah, uh, uh, thanks for joining us. This is Greg Nicholson here. One question I had, so you represent the DA Students Organization, and, and the political party has taken a little bit of heat over... Over its stance on on these other uh, student protests, and there are a lot of people who are criticizing it, saying they would like to hear more from Musi Maimani, who I saw is at UCT today. Um, mm. How how do you feel that the party has responded to to this issue? Has the Democratic Alliance done enough to engage these problems? We we have, uh, and this is something I was at the higher education uh, uh, summit last week. And one of the things when different media houses uh, approached us. And I said, you know, we don't govern in most of the institutions. And often enough, people just cover those institutions because either we don't have a structure existing in those institutions, they will take that thing as an overall uh, response or involvement in, 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 in student issues. But we are at NMNU, we are at Kote, and we've been raising these issues, and they have not been covered, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And today, what we have done uh, even better is that instead of I mean, we have started this this the the the, 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 the match. Uh, we have organized students, but what we also did is that we invited uh, SASCO, we invited PASMA, uh, and all other political organizations, and ESS, which is still struggling to be recognized as okay. And we said they must be part of uh, the Phoenix, uh, the, the 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 match, so that we make this thing not only about political organizations, but about the students and the issues around the table. So we have made submissions. And if you if, if you go on our on, on our page as well through our uh, uh, spokesperson on higher education, Mr. Sassim, we raised this issue in Parliament on the uh, on the budget speech. The issue of uh, uh, subsidies decreasing from twenty one thousand per student to sixteen thousand since nineteen ninety four. We raised this issue through uh, Professor Belinda Pezzoli. So we have been uh, raising issues. We are raising issues because another big problem is that. When we're talking about institutions of hiring and training, everyone is looking at universities, but not TVS colleges. We have also raised those issues on TVS colleges about the, the, the corruption, the cross-corrupt administration of these students' funds, the, the mismanagement of funds by the institutions, the fee hikes that are exorbitant, which at the end of the day uh, don't allow students to have meal allowances and book allowances because institutions take this, they take their residence fees, they take their tuition fees, and what's left of that, you can, uh, students can use that for, uh, uh, for food allowances or book allowances. And that's what hey, uh, students are only left with 400 rents because fees increased last year uh, in November from 19,000 mm-hmm. uh, for, for residents to 26,000. And this year, again, the institution wants to increase, increase, increase fees. And we said we can't do that. We won't even discuss fee hikes now. We actually want to go back on what informed the, inc- the increment from last year, what have they done with those increments, 
And if they, we have to concede as all political organizations that support hey, we want to find out what exactly are they wanting to do with the fee increment for what purpose. Mm. And so, we already know. So you want transparency? You, you want the, organiz- the, the university to pro- provide transparency in how they're using their, their funds, right? And why they use exactly? Mm-hmm. We want more transparency on this thing on the breakdown. We bring that thing up in the We are engaged now because we are governing this way. Mm-hmm. We, 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 we demand a breakdown of what exactly is the registration, what is it to us, and what exactly, why do you want a, a certain percentage to, uh, to go forward? Of course, way? which is important because if if they want an increase in fees, we have to understand you know where the money is going for. But, Cabela, I'm interested. So you're planning a march and, and, and quite, I assume quite large demonstrations. We've seen them, you know, take off at other university campuses around the country. How do you ensure as you plan this march that it's going to be peaceful? Is that a key aim? How do you ensure that the discipline will be applied by students who are, you know, who are legitimately angry? Well, what, 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 what we have done where we're involved in, I, I was also leading a charge at the higher education summit where SRFs were very angry when the deputy president of the country addressed them and he just left uh, without even taking questions and the minister went on and they never said anything. And I tried to say to them, let's sit down and let's hear what people... So so that we, we don't seem like we're just violent people because oftentimes it's only the violence that's covered but not the issues. Where we are leading the matches, we, yesterday we had a threat meeting with all political organizations and we sat down with them and told them, these are the issues, and we need to make sure that we also control our constituencies that we come with so that we, we don't degenerate uh, the, the, the issues that we have or this, uh, 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 these matches into violent uh, demonstrations. But to make sure that only the issues are highlighted, making sure that uh, we don't distract, we don't deviate from what are the core issues. And secondly, we are also cognizant of the fact that, and, and we, we, we raise this thing, negotiations come at a critical time when students are always preparing for the examination. And what our aim, our aim is we don't want to disrupt uh, uh, examinations. We want solutions to be reached before the end of this week in various institutions where we are so that students can go back and prepare for the examination because we've got finalists who really want to graduate and go and work next year. So we, we are looking at one minimum disruption as much as possible. We also want uh, as little as possible of coercion of students coming to come to the matches, disruptions in the institutions, uh, violence, uh, 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 demonstration institutions as well. Cabello, I mean, I hear you. It sounds like you know the demands are quite clear, and and, and, and it's really something that you you keep pushing for. Oh, Cabello, we've you know we've spoken to some of the other journalists and student leaders, and and this idea is a question that I love and keep asking: this idea of intersectionality and and especially sexism and patriarchy. Um, and how it it plays into into these other struggles that we're fighting is that something that I'd foretell that the, the students and, and you as a student leader are conscious of of, of 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 sort of collectively pushing for the downfall of all these all these isms so to speak together. That process speaks to a transformation, and one of one one of the things that foretell because every institution as well has got its own issues. Mm. Uh, as you've got a sort of a balance in terms of academia because of its historical background, in terms of your composition of the lecturers of color. But there's also an issue of gender in terms of do are we seeing enough uh, uh, academics of color coming into the ranks, being offered a, a post, and that's a big issue, still a big issue, broadly speaking. And the second issue is when we look at the whole country, there's also that particular issue of we, we are not getting, we are not seeing a lot of transformation. Uh, there's still a lot of uh, uh, your, your your powers or your most significant positions in institutions of violent mentoring is still centered around males, and in particular we're talking about white males. And this was an issue that was also raised in the high, uh, high education summit as well. So this issue of transformation, the issue of some of the issues that have been facing from different campuses, it might not play itself out in the same way, but. All in all, there's a lack of, there's been a very slow transformation in the institution as well. Fantastic. But what, 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 what we highlighted as well, which is a big thing, uh, we, we've got a lot. There's a backlog at Fortier in terms of uh, the ratio of lecturers to students, number one. Number two, also, the issue of quality. Uh, we raised that in our manifesto in the elections in April that we need well-qualified, trained academics uh, supervisors, because there's, there's even lack of supervisors for our postgraduate uh, 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 students. So we want, a, 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 there must be a focus on, because most of the time people focus on the undergrad, but there's a lack of 
quality uh, 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 academics who are, even to this very day, still releasing papers who keep abreast with the development, uh, so that we can the students of Fort Hare who go there for postgraduate can meet the standards of uh, uh, UCT, your big universities, uh, uh, and your Bosch's and all these other institutions. So that's one of the things that we we, we, we have been fighting for. It's something that we identified when we went into the elections, and we're still fighting for that now. Fantastic. Cabello Mohatosi, our DASO student leader at Fort Hare. Cabello, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me, sir. Great. You're tuning into the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central, talking all things fees must fall. Just quickly looking at social media, we have a tweet from Solomon, at Isizulu, and, and they just highlight the issue of objectivity in media coverage and what media focuses on, and there's lots of inaccuracies with that. Uh, please keep tweeting us, and, and we'll make sure to read them on and continue to engage with you. Greg, I don't know what to say. We've talked to people across the country, different universities, and it's... I know, I think I need to lie down. There's such like a whirlwind tour of this issue, but it really does go to show how, how widespread it is. Obviously, we didn't even talk to anyone from Stellenbosch or some of the, I think UJ is protesting today. I think, um, is it UP or what? One of the Pretoria universities is definitely protesting today as well. It's, it's incredible how this has spread. And I think it is a new sort of, since roads must fall at Cape Town, it does feel like there is a new, sort of energy amongst the student movement. I don't even know if I would have said, like last year or the year before, if there was a national sort of student movement. And it still seems quite regionalized by universities. But this has shown that the students across different campuses, across the country, are, I think, willing to take up um, issues of common interest in solidarity, you know? I mean, absolutely. I mean, we had seen a sort of Bledzi Mande, Minister of Higher Education, criticized for his, his silence on the matter. I think he finally spoke up, uh, uh, was it yesterday? It mm. seems his, his key message seems to be reiterating that this is not a crisis. Um, yeah, but no, but at the same time, he, his statement, I, I didn't see the press conference, but I did read, um, the Higher Education Minister's press statement, yeah. and he seemed to acknowledge that it was a serious issue. And he encouraged uh, university managements to engage, I think, um, with respect, I guess, not just to blow off these students. And he also engaged protesting students to have restraint. And I, I assume you're saying avoid, avoid violence while protesting. And then he acknowledged that I think that high fee increases um, significantly burden uh, poor students. And, you know, that's quite obvious. It's basic, basic budgeting. Um, but and, but he didn't quite have a solution to the issue. He sort of he's meeting with vice chancellors today, so it'll be very from from universities across the country. It'll be mm-hmm. very interesting to see whether they can come up with any innovative solutions, I guess, to this. Because at the end of the day, it is sort of a budgeting issue. You know, it's it's universities are short on funds, government is short on money to to donate more. You know, it's it's can these universities cut other costs or find ways to become more in a, more efficient so they can have lower fee increases? Can the government find a way to to find extra money in in what is you know a significant economic downturn at the moment or or a very slow yeah. so you know slow growth? Um, so so that's where we're at, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what what Blade or, or Minister Inzamande <laughs> with, <laughs> with um, in, in conjunction with these with these um, vice chancellors can come up with because if they don't come up with something I think we're just going to the protests are just simply going to continue absolutely just quickly from Twitter we have a tweet from M African at Africa 665 saying that it's a guessing game by journalists we shall listen to the students thank you Twitter mm. I think that's going to put some of us out of a job but you got to <laughs> love the sentiment that you well, can hear it from the horse's mouth mm. and don't need somebody else to channel it through their own biases and their own mm. sort of preconceived Although, ideas to tell you what's obviously happening. I think that is one of the very interesting things in terms of following these protests is that so many students are engaged, you know, deeply engaged on social media. And so they can tweet exactly what they're going through. They can show pictures of themselves being there without having to go through the media as a, as sort of, you know, a legitimizing third party or you know, second party, third party, I know. But then at the same time, just because it's coming from students there, it also doesn't mean it's 100% factually correct, even though I do think there have been inaccuracies, certainly from the media. It's just because you're a student. It doesn't mean you're going to be factual about it. It doesn't mean you don't have any biases, especially if you're a protester. It, that's why actually we often have journalists because, you know, because we're not students or we're not, um, EFF members or we're not comrades, you know, and see comrades. It's, it is important to have people there who may not necessarily be involved in the movement. Have skin in the game. But at the same time, I think what's cool at the moment is you can weigh it all up together. There's a lot of, you know, so, so if the media says something, if, if someone tweets that, yeah, they're burning a car, which I think someone did report that yesterday, straight away people can respond to that. 
uh, protesters who are there immediately say no yeah. here's live pictures we're they can here. say that's bullshit that's not what happened that's bullshit and I so think I think that's that beautiful. and it does I think raise the level of accountability for the media it really does raise it up a level and there's just there's a, there's a power in a personal story we have Lungile here also from Twitter and she says I was on Nest first but still owed UCT because because we couldn't pay mm. the family contribution mm. um, so I think there's, we're seeing just the power of, of single stories coming up and mm. saying this is me. This is my story. Mm. I was on NESFA, so I couldn't do my exams. So I was kicked out. And 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 we realize that when person X stands up and says, oh, poor black students are being locked out, it's not, it's not, it can't be dismissed as easy political narrative of student leaders trying to kick a fuss because we have sort of that backing of, of mm-hmm. individuals telling their stories. And I think that's one of the key things that's come, come out of these protests, just showing, the students themselves showing how much... How, how they're struggling, particularly poor black students and, and, and black students in general often, I think, how much they're struggling and how much their families have had to struggle um, for them to try and get a better education and a better future. And I think they've continued to put that on the agenda, whereas before we may, you know, we may just have thought uh, they're, they're trying to, they're just trying to, I'm not sure. Absolutely. Just quickly on, as we go into the last sort of 10 minutes on the show, I just want to quickly touch on the budgeting issue for one second, which we had moved away from. Um, when we talk about affordability of, of, of education, we often see these contradictions being, we often see these contradictions being brought up. I'm not contradiction, but sort of dichotomies where somebody will be like, why are we spending one trillion rand on nuclear power and we could put this many students mm. through, through, through higher education? Why are we spending subsidizing how train when we could put these students through um, through higher education. And for me, that's been an interesting sort of thing for me to grapple with sort of an economics background where on one hand, I feel like we sometimes equate things that are not, mm. that you can't equate. It's like, why pay for energy? Pay for students. Yeah. But on the other hand, I think it's great that we're looking at sort of the micro picture and saying, perhaps if we look at Habib's little spreadsheet and his budget and they're looking at that, perhaps you can't fix it at that sort of level of the problem. But if you take mm. a step back and well, look at the national sort of fi- financial sort of system, then it's, there's maybe some solutions there. Or for example, if we come back to the energy issue, you know, spending you know, an estimated one tri- trillion rand. That's like know, a third of the we, national budget. Yeah, or something. We, we, it's crazy. You know, something like that. We could actually say instead, so, you know, so we have these NASFAS uh, demands and student, student funds demands. Perhaps we should invest more in coal or more in, in um, um, renewable energies. And looking up th- at those different... Um, demands on the money and the different opportunity costs and the choices we have to make. I think it's important that as as a public and the media and just, just general citizens, that we really do make sure this is where those decisions matter. Yeah. If if the government was to have saved two hundred million Rand on something else that they've wasted, it could have gone to this potentially. It might have gone it might have gone to something else also important. But but at the end of the day it all it all matters. And that's where corruption has been coming up a lot and saying if you, if you could tally up and nobody really has a conclusive figure of how much we're actually losing to corruption. But I think it's clear that it's too much. And it's, and it's hard to ignore that if all those wasted runs could be put to good use that maybe some of these students could actually have a higher education they could afford. Most definitely. So Daily Mavic, Sean Cliff Central. We're just going into the last couple of minutes. Now, Greg, we were following the, the, the UCT um, uh, protest, especially on Twitter last night and seeing what was happening. And we saw some students get arrested. I think they were set free this morning. And for me, that just brought up this issue of, of police and the role of the police in this. And they, it, it, it seems that they're going a bit over the top in terms of tear gas and arresting students. We saw Nyalas on, on the scene at UCT. And it, it seems that they're using... Definitely not using concomitant force, as was the word of was it last year, two years Jeez, ago. Let's not, <laughs> let's not even go back to concomitant, but it, it seems that they're going over the top in terms of the kind of, the kind of force they're using against unarmed students. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. So, uh, I was at Vitz yesterday and I was actually rather impressed with the way the, the Johannesburg Metro Police handled that quite sensitive situation because the students, after marching around Bramfontein in the afternoon, they, they sort of had a sit in, a little demonstration for, I think, 90 minutes. On the corner of the Vitz entrance there and um, Empire Road, as well as the M1 off-ramp. And that's such a busy intersection. And these students, I'm quite certain they didn't have a permit to march that day. Um, you know, the cops could have come and said, like, we're going we're gonna to forcefully remove you if, if, if you guys don't leave. But they gave them quite a lot of time because I was worried about that in terms of, you know, how do you, how do you get rid of, you know, one or 2,000 students? Mm-hmm. The only really way you can do it is through force, right? Through rubber bullets, tear gas, all those sort yeah, of and things. imagine subs under mandate to clear Empire or clear Bramfontein and allow people yeah. to sort of yeah, drive. because they completely closed down traffic in one yeah. of the busiest intersections in the city. Yeah. 
But the Metro Police, I think, for the, for the large majority of it, they, they just sort of blocked off the roads because they didn't want any, any cars to come through and potentially get damaged mm. or, or cause, cause disruptions. Mm. So I was, I was quite impressed that they didn't have sort of a heavy, heavy um, policing hand at the start because I think it could have turned into chaos with parked cars there. You know, how would these students re- react or retaliate? If, if cops started shooting rubber bullets, maybe the students would throw stones or something like that. And there's lots of cars around. It's a very busy area. It could have been really dangerous, I think. So I think the, the police were quite restrained. Um, eventually the, the police after, after the, uh, which is now well documented in the media, that car was overturned. Yeah. I think maybe five or 10 minutes after that, the, the police came and gave them five minutes to leave and they left within five minutes. But, but as, as we saw in Cape Town, you know, it seemed like the police did have a heavier hand. I'm not sure what sort of, what, how those students reacted. But for me, the images I see in Cape Town of these students getting arrested, which, which definitely looks like it's out of hand and, and using way too much force than necessary. It simply reminds me of all the protests that I, I you know, we've been to regularly and that we know often in, you know, in the townships and rural areas where this is how the police react. They, they don't really negotiate. They come with their nyalas, or maybe they negotiate a little bit, but also, you know, when a councillor doesn't come to receive a memorandum, mm. the people get angry, the police decide they want them off the roads, they start shooting rubber bullets, and the people start burning tyres, they start shooting tear gas, they start arresting anyone they can. And I think, and I hope, that following on from Marikana and the, the recommendations in the Marikana report for the um, um, revolution, of, of the, the transformation of uh, the public port of public order policing in South Africa, I hope this can also put that on the agenda. Well, we have to know that public order policing should be to prevent injury and for the safety of the people and and those around you rather than sort of like a heavy hand enforcement, sort of some gung-ho going in there and, you know, shooting wildly and arresting people. Um, And so I I hope that it continues to stay on the agenda that we can reform public order policing to make it both safe for protesters and safe for citizens who aren't protesting and safe for infrastructure. I mean, I can't really put it much better than that. You've given us the full context on what public order policing needs to be. Unfortunately, we've just run out of time. Remember, this is the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central. Please continue to engage with us on Twitter, download and share the podcast far and wide. A big thank you to Ponzo Pelani, Lerato Mojale, and Cabello Mojatosi from uh, Rhodes, Daso, and also our Ponzo reporting from Vitz. We'll continue with engage with all the student leaders and hopefully speak to some people from, from UCT and Stellenbosch as well. Um, students, I suppose not much to say except that we hear your struggles and we really support your push to, to have an affordable higher education and, and, and to, to be able to get that education with dignity um, that you know people have fought for for decades and decades in this country. It's the Daily Mavic Show on Cliff Central. We'll see you next week, same time, same time. Stay informed and up to date. It's the Daily Maverick Show, Tuesdays, 1 to 2 p.m. on Cliff Central.